0: Hello, you are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This Epiphany in Lent, we are back in the Gospel of Luke, where we see God revealed in Jesus. As is common for Luke, what we see is the kingdom coming to all, but maybe most often to the unexpected, We'll see Jesus challenge his disciples, the rich young ruler and the proud religious leader, but commend a persistent widow, insist that the children come to him, and reveal that a blind beggar can see him for who he is even better than his own disciples. Finally, we will make our way with Jesus, his disciples, and the crowd around him as he enters Jerusalem on Holy Week long ago. We'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy the sermon. God bless.
1: Lord, we ask this morning that you would uh, teach us from this passage, uh, this beautiful passage of your entrance into Jerusalem, but this tragic passage. Of you coming to this city of the kings of Israel, of the, of the worship of God, where the temple itself was, in the, the king's reign, where you came as the P- king of peace, and yet are rejected. God, I pray that you would visit us this morning, and that we would receive you. Now, Lord, will the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so Tuesday night. Um, James and Henry and I had just finished playing our last game of exploding kittens. <laughs> which is a great game. Y'all should play that game. We have zombie kittens now, too, which is honestly a little more fun, I think. But uh, before my boys uh, were going to brush their teeth, they wanted a snack, which is the right order, and sometimes they get the order wrong. Um, but so, so, so anyway, Henry, I gave him a, a piece of string cheese, and he's kind of, no, it's not string cheese. He actually had that shredded up cheese that goes on like tacos, and he wanted a little bowl. So he's like munching on this bowl of shredded cheese, and I get James a bowl of black olives. You know the ones that like just fit so nicely over your fingers when you're a kid? Y'all know what I'm talking about. We've all done it. Um, And so they're sitting at the table having this snack at night. And I'm putting the last of the dishes into the dishwasher for the night. And I overhear this conversation. And this is how the conversation goes. James. Henry's trying to stump his brother. James, what's 11 plus 4? 15. Nice. Nice. That's what he says. I, I, I listened pretty intently because I thought this is going to be good. Nice. What's 100 plus 1? One? <laughs> 101. Wow, James, you're really good at this. Um, and I loved how surprised Henry was at James's ability. <laughs> But of course, I also love that the addition that Henry was asking James to perform was much more simple than Henry thought. Um, That's some pretty basic math, right? 11 plus 4 is 15. 100, even as such a big number, plus 1 is 101. Y'all are good? Okay. And here's what I kind of loved about this is that like so much of life is unbelievably complicated, Right? It's just so complicated, and sometimes we actually engage with things that are rather simple, as though they're massively complicated, but the, the thing is that a lot of life is extremely complicated. James asked me this week this question, Dad, does everybody have to go to college? And of course, I said no, but I did say also, but everyone at that stage of life, whether they're in college or not, they're, they're figuring out and they're sort of planning for, and ideally aiming at, whatever's next. And that can be so hard, and so complicated, whether or not you're in college or not. It doesn't, you know, the complication doesn't really matter. Um, Much of life is really complicated, and some of it isn't too tricky. Sometimes the calculation is fairly easy. So, if you can remember with me, back eight epiphanies ago, (laughs) You don't have to do that. Just remember with me the song of Zechariah, or Zechariah's prophecy, um, way back in Luke chapter 1. It begins like this. This is verse 68 of Luke chapter 1. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And then if you read the rest of Zechariah's prophecy, you get 10 verses later to this verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise uh, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Luke begins with this idea that God is visiting his people. There's a visitation from God happening. And Zechariah takes note his prophecy, if you remember, is mostly about the kindness of this visitation. You just heard these words. Visit us with, with mercy. He's going to redeem his people, and he's going to bring about peace. And, and, of course, throughout the book of Luke, <clears throat> what you see is this happening, right? God coming and visiting his people, bringing this visitation of God through Jesus, If you think back, um, what happens is that all kinds of redemption happens and mercy happens and peace is brought about because God's visitation in Jesus. So way back in chapter four, Jesus visits Capernaum and there he brings peace to a demoniac, somebody who had had been, uh, who had a demon. And what it says is that when he did this, all were amazed they all took note that God had, had visited and he had redeemed and he would brought mercy and peace. And he brought it not just to that man, but to the community. Um, in chapter five, the next chapter, we see that um, Jesus cleanses a leper, somebody who had been totally ostracized from the community. He, he wouldn't have been able to go to any community functions, which also meant not going to worship. And, um, and then Jesus tells that man, Hey, go to the priest and offer the sacrifices for cleansing. Because Jesus is intent on bringing his mercy and his redemption and bringing peace, not just to that man, but to the community that surrounded him. When God visits people and they receive it, peace and mercy, redemption happens. So the next chapter... um, We actually read this. This is really kind of wild because we get this idea all through Luke that God isn't just coming to one type of people but to all people. His gospel, especially if you consider the second part of Luke in the book of Acts, is for all people. So there in Luke Luke chapter 6, we read that even the people from Tyre and Sidon and the surrounding areas, which is outside of Israel, were coming to him and seeking to be taught by him. And it says specifically those who were troubled were cured. Which is to say he brought peace. His visitation brings peace. Just time and time and time again. Okay, one more chapter. Chapter 7. We can read about a Roman centurion. I mean... Not just a Roman soldier, but somebody who ordered Roman soldiers what to do. We read about this Roman centurion who had a a servant who who he loved greatly, is what it says. And Jesus comes, uh, uh, Jesus is sent for, and Jesus comes to that place, and he heals that Roman centurion's servant. What we see, what I'm suggesting to you, is that what we see is God visiting, bringing his visitation in Jesus, and when that happens, God brings his redemption, he brings his mercy, and he extends his peace. And because that's the case, what we see in Luke is that time and time and time again, people are seeking that out. And they're, they're sort of making themselves ready. You know, they're, they're actually going the distance sometimes to, to find Jesus. They're going out of their way to say, Who is this? Is he really the king? Can he really do these things? And Jesus shows up and he does them. In story after story in Luke, we see people seeking Jesus out and preparing themselves. Making themselves ready to receive him. And I think, I mean, largely that that makes sense. I mean, if Jesus, you know, really did the things that we read about in the Gospels. And he really was this visitation from God that was going to bring redemption and mercy and peace well, I think we would all think that the calculation is worth it, right? Okay, this if I just if I get prepare myself and if I show up and actually say, "Lord, have mercy on me." And he never turns away anyone who asks that, I sh- I'll show up. That's an easy bet. You know, visit me, God. You're going to prepare if that's what's going on. You're going to receive him. You're going to do whatever you might need to do to get ready for the visitation of God. Um, Of course, here's the thing, right? If you look at the book of Luke, uh, what you see is that some people were like, no, I don't think so. Um Right before Jesus, healed, like immediately before Jesus heals this demoniac in the town of Capernaum in Luke chapter 4, immediately before, what you can read about is Jesus being at the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he gets the scroll from Isaiah, and he, re- he reads from Isaiah chapter 60, 61 about uh, giving recovery of sight and freedom to the oppressed and all this kind of stuff. And then what you actually read about Is that they didn't want anything to do with him. I mean, it literally says they marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth, and then they kicked him out. (laughs) Um, Chapter 5, the next chapter, right after Jesus heals the leper in chapter 5, we read that Pharisees claim that he's blaspheming because he's declaring the forgiveness of sins. Um, Right before he ministers to the great multitude in chapter 6, who came from all over, uh, we read that there were scribes, which scribes, think of like the religious uh, lawyers or the ones who really knew their theology really well and kind of knew the tradition of Jewish law really well, okay, scribes. And there were Pharisees. And this is what we read. They were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus, right next to the multitude coming to him. I mean, literally just right next to it. So then further along in chapter 7, after Jesus heals the Roman centurion's servant, there's this beautiful story where Jesus is having dinner with a Pharisee at the Pharisee's house. And uh, in comes this woman who was known to be a sinner she was the, the prostitute of the town, very likely. And she, was, she brought with her an alabas, alabaster flask, which would have been one of the tools of her trade. And she fell down at Jesus' feet, and she weeps, and she wipes Jesus' feet. Keep in mind, they were wearing sandals. It was very dirty. She's washing Jesus' feet with, a, with this expensive ointment, with her tears, with her hair. And everybody else knows who she is. And the religious leaders there, the Pharisees, say this. If he would have known what kind of woman this is. Now, I want us actually just to stop, just because this passage is so lovely, before I keep going on. Um, Luke tries to teach us this again and again. That this visitation from God that's bringing redemption and mercy and peace is uh, indiscriminate in who it comes to. I mean, Jesus' love is just indiscriminate. He's just healed a Roman centurion's servant. I mean, the Romans shouldn't have been in Israel anyway. What's Jesus doing caring for somebody like that? And actually, he commends him. He's in a Pharisee's house. Aren't those the, like, you know, goody, two-shoe religious pastor people? Why is he hanging out with them? A prostitute? Can we just all marvel for a second that Jesus' visitation comes to everybody? His mercy is offered to everyone? Anyway, this story ends with these guys saying, who is this guy? Doesn't he know? Finally, it ends with Jesus actually forgiving this woman's sin, and that gets everybody, you know, all up in something, all mad. Um, anyway, it might seem like if God is going to come and he's going to bring his visitation, he's going to visit, and because he's going to do that, he's going to bring his redemption and his mercy and his peace, um, that it would be the easiest calculation you could ever make. You would prepare, you would make ready, you would show up, but it's not always the case. And we could continue our way through Luke. We could just look at passage after passage where this is the case. God brings his mercy, his redemption, his peace to people. And sometimes people are so receptive and ready and they've prepared and they've shown and they've traveled and they've come. And other times they want nothing to do with it. Just uh, in the last few weeks, you'll remember that Luke has has shown us in, in actually, you know, um, subsequent chapters, chapter 18 and chapter 19, the chapter that we're in now. Um, this one man, this rich young ruler who had it all going, and Jesus says, Hey, you've got to count the cost of following me, and I want you to give up this thing that you're grabbing onto to give you worth. And this man says, Not worth it. Not worth it. I want to do my own thing. Jesus following you is going to cost me too much. And then the next chapter, which we just looked at it last week, right? We have Zacchaeus, this rich chief tax collector, who also has to count the cost of following Jesus. And he says, it's absolutely worth it. And they're right next to each other. Here's what I'm saying. What we see in the very beginning of Luke, and actually the word doesn't show up until our passage right here in verse 44, is that God is visiting. God is visiting. And when there's certain things that happen when God visits, he brings mercy, he brings redemption, he brings peace. But it seems as though some people delight in it, and others detest it. Some people receive it, and others reject it. So today we come to this passage, this triumphal, triumphal entry passage in Luke, And for so many of us here at Second City, if you've been around Second City for a little while, um, you know that we love gathering together on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is only four weeks from today, and if you come on Palm Sunday, we are not going to hear our call to worship and begin our service up here because we're going to join together down in the social hall. And what we're going to do is we're going to begin our service down there, there, and then we're going to process with palm branches, palm fronds, and we will sing, and we will shout Hosanna, and we will make our way back into the sanctuary to worship. It's one of the great sort of uh, things that we love about our church is some of these things that we do during Holy Week. Um, and it's coming. We're going to remember the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem long ago. Uh, but today we have this passage before us, this triumphal entry, and um, what I want you to see is that Luke sort of puts it immediately right next to this, uh, these other two stories, um, immediately right next to the great tragedy of Jerusalem's rejection of Jesus, Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, And the tragedy of Jesus finding in the temple itself that it's just a place of commerce. And what I want you to do, do hopefully, is notice that once again, at the end, we're really just beginning the end of the book of Luke. At the end here in the book of Luke, right at the time when God's going to fully visit his people, when he's actually going to bring about his redemption through the cross and his peace through the resurrection, right here we're faced with this exact same question. Who are you going to be? What are you going to do with God's visitation? Luke wants us to see Jesus is visiting, Jesus is coming, and us to wrestle with this question. What do we do with it? So look, three times, Luke tells us that Jesus is drawing near. Verse 29, look down. It's the second verse in in your bulletin. When he drew near to Bethpage... And Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, keep going. Uh, Verse 37 there. As he was drawing near, as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice. You see, the first section there The first movement of him getting the colt, or his disciples getting the colt, begins with Jesus is the one that's drawing near. He's the great actor. The next section, which is the triumphal entry itself, when people throw down their coats and all, it's Jesus who's the actor. He's the one drawing near. Verse 41 And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus is the actor here. He's the one who's moving, he's the one who's drawing near. What I want to suggest to you is that this is beginning to tell us, here is the visitation of God. Jesus is coming. He's drawing near. He's coming. He's coming. And finally, in verse 44, it ends there, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is coming. What we get with the whole instructing his disciples to go get the colt, is again that Jesus is making it happen. And he wants you to understand what it is that he's doing. Um, you might imagine that there are those that think that maybe what Jesus did was he, he set this whole thing up with this colt and this guy that had a colt, which is the foal of a donkey, like the, the baby of a, a young donkey that hadn't been ridden yet. Um, he set it up so that there was a password. You know, the Lord is in need of this. Or, um... <laughs> The Lord, yeah, the Lord has need of it. Um, And that's actually totally possible, right? We know that Jesus had been to Bethany before and that he knew people there. So it's not kind of unheard of. I mean, it's not a crazy thought to think, you know, this isn't just Jesus, like, clairvoyance and sort of going, oh, I know what's happening there. It may have been that Jesus set this up so that he could send his disciples and they could get the cult and all that. Of course, the other thought is that Jesus, uh, in his divine person as God incarnate, actually does orchestrate it, and he just knows that there's somebody there that's going to obey when his disciples go and say, hey, the Lord has need of it. My point here is, I don't really care. Either way, Jesus is orchestrating it. And there's an intent with it. Jesus is behind us. He's saying, I'm coming, and I want people to understand what it means when I come. And what does it mean when he comes? Well, he's on a a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this wasn't a great war horse. This wasn't a military procession. In fact, a donkey would have been used sort of in a, a civil procession. What, it would have been do- what, what a donkey would do is to say, it's peace that I'm bringing. It's peace that's happening. I'm riding on a donkey to bring about peace I'm not doing what all of you think. I'm not coming in here to get rid of the Romans and start some war. I'm bringing peace because that's what happened when God visits. He brings redemption. He brings mercy. He brings peace. And Jesus' is intent on you understanding that this is the visitation, that he's orchestrated it all, and this is how He is coming and why he's coming. Luke is showing us that Jesus is coming. He's making it very clear that Jesus is visiting He's orchestrating it all, and he has an intent and a reason to do that. But here's what Luke is also doing in this passage. Yet again, he's saying, hey, this reception is not a given. It's not a given how people are actually going to receive him. The calculation is not so easy. You might think that if God himself were offering peace, that everyone would flock that everyone would eagerly grab onto it. But it's not so easy. So, um, first, we actually are given, or we're, we're given in this passage, the people that have readied themselves. Um, I've mentioned the last couple weeks that Jericho was this city that was known as the City of Palms. And so it's very likely that the people that were were making their way up on their pilgrimage with Jesus to worship in Jerusalem for the Passover, they would have made their way through Jericho, which was down in the valley from Jerusalem, and they would have maybe grabbed one of the palm fronds or the palm branches there, thinking, we are going to prepare ourselves now because this is the king that we want to enter Jerusalem with. They were readying themselves. Uh, we read here that they, um, that they threw down their cloaks. Maybe they'd prepared. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab another article of clothing because I want to demonstrate that I'm going to give of myself for this king because I want this king and the peace that he offers. They wanted to make themselves ready for his visitation. And they welcomed Jesus. They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Or sorry, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord which is from Psalm 118, and like I said, that that word right there, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that would have been spoken by the priests over the pilgrims who were coming into Jerusalem, but they change it. They say, blessed is the king. So they've thought about this. How do we welcome Jesus? How do we receive him in his visitation? And even if you and I know that this crowd's cry is going to move from Hosanna to crucify him, um, Notice how Jesus actually receives their welcome. Because the Pharisees say this, right? They say this to Jesus. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to shut it. And he says, if they're silent, the stones are going to cry out. So he welcomes them. Um, Jesus seems to commend those who have prepared here and who are eager for his visitation. They're planning for it and they're hoping for it. And they're ready. On the other hand, what we see is Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Uh, He overturns tables in the temple. Uh, He drives out those who are using it as a place of commerce. And why? Because they were misusing it all. They were missing it all. I mean, the temple itself was where God met with his people, where he visited with his people. And all they're doing is seeing how do I make a buck off of this? Jerusalem was supposed to be the place where God dwelt with his people. And they had rejected his messengers time and time again. It was the misuse of the temple. Certainly that's part of why Jesus gets so angry. But I actually don't think that's Luke's main point here. It might be Mark's and Matthew's if you want to read that later on. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all mention actually the the turning over the tables, but they all do it differently. It's worth your study. But here it seems as though Luke is intent with this question of are you going to receive Jesus when he comes? Are you going to receive him when he comes? Or are you going to reject him as those who simply couldn't care less? Keep on going with what you've been up to. Jerusalem as a city, rejects him. The people buying and selling in the temple seem to care less when he enters in until he starts making a fuss of it all. What we have here is this triumphal tragedy, actually. A king coming and visiting. A king offering peace. A king offering mercy. A king offering Redemption, and what we find is the people say, we don't want it. We've got better things to do with our time. Just let us keep making money, doing our thing. There's a place for finding ourselves in this crowd, which is often what I've preached on um, Palm Sunday. Uh, The the flakiness, right? The wishy-washy dynamic. How we move from saying Hosanna to saying crucify him. Um, There's a place for that. A a crowd that's self-absorbed like us. uh, Praising Jesus for what we hope he can give us and do for us. But I think what Luke wants to teach us this morning... I think how Luke has orchestrated things in his book and how he's put them together here is that he's trying to tell us once again, there's kind of two options. There's two options when you come to Jesus. Are you going to receive him? Or are you going to reject him? Are you going to receive God's visitation? as an offer of peace and mercy and redemption, are you going to reject it? And I think as lovely as that sounds, as something that we would all say, yeah, 100 plus 1 is 101. How easy can it be? As you look at the Gospel of Luke, what you see is it's not so easy. Some people run to him. Some people want to come and listen to him and even ask good questions, right? The rich young ruler says, teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But eventually he says, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to follow you. So what are you going to do? When God visits What do you do with Jesus? Will you prepare yourself for his visitation? Will you ready your heart and your life? Will you seek him? He says, ask and seek and knock. And he's going to show up. What will you do with Jesus? Jesus? And the question is before us, let me, let me say this, the, the question is before us whether or not you are, are a Christian today or not. I mean, the Bible shows us this time and time again. Israel comes out from Egypt and they reject him in the wilderness. God's people themselves. And Psalm 95 says, in that context, quoting that context, the, the psalmist says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts So today, will you ready your heart for Jesus? Will you receive him as the one, the only one who brings peace and mercy? Or will you reject him? Will you count the cost and find that it's all worth it? Let me uh, end by simply uh, reading for you this little poem by Jeremy Taylor. Uh, Jeremy Taylor was a a pastor, a priest in the Anglican church in the 17th century. For a short while, he actually co-labored in a congregation in Northern Ireland with a Presbyterian minister, which I thought was lovely when I read that. But he said this, Hosanna, Welcome to our hearts, for here thou hast a temple too as Zion, dear. Yes, dear is Zion, and is full of sin. How long shall thieves and robbers dwell therein? Enter and chase them forth, and cleanse the floor, or throw them all, that they may never more profane with traffic vile that holy place where thou hast chosen, Lord. To set thy face. Today. Will you receive Jesus visitation. Enter into your hearts. Chase out the sin. Chase out the thieves and robbers that dwell therein. And cleanse it. Wash it. Make it new. Will you receive him? Or reject him? Let me give us a a moment of silence and then I'll pray. God, we think of all of the reasons that were given in the Gospel of Luke why people rejected you and they don't seem too far off from us. Um, The love of power and say that we have over our lives and over other people's lives. Um, I don't know, the, the comfort that we have in this world And the ways that we can say, look at us, we're young, we've got something going for us, we're a ruler, we have power over something, we're rich, we're comfortable, we don't need you. We think of Jerusalem that was buying and selling in the temple, just going about their daily Uh, routines, not having an ear to you, not really caring. All of these sound so familiar, Lord. God, I pray that today we would hear your voice and we would not harden our hearts. But that we would make ready for the visitation of the king. The only king who brings Redemption and mercy and peace that our hearts are all longing for. Move in us this morning that we would receive you, Lord. I pray this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.